Now, many of you are aware that Calvary Church partners with a village in Mozambique, Africa. The name of the village is Shiningani, and it's located, as I mentioned, in Mozambique. And for about the past five or six years, Calvary Church has been sending three teams a year to Shiningani. We send one in April, one in August, and a team in October. And these teams go to Mozambique in order to serve, in order to do ministry in Mozambique. And we spend time teaching the young people and teaching adults and teaching pastors the word of God. And the teams also spend time working in the, in the fields and with the crops. We've helped the people of Shinangani develop tomato, a tomato cash crop, in order that they can produce these tomatoes and sell them and, and generate revenue to create a better life for themselves. They also have papaya trees that we've helped them with, that they grow papaya and then they sell that papaya in order to create revenue, to create a better life for themselves. We also help them with their substance crop, which is corn. And for many years, we've been involved in this ministry to the people of Mozambique, and God is doing great things there. But I've always kind of observed this ministry from afar. It's always been a ministry that I thought was something kind of cool, that there were really good things happening, but it was something that I did not want to get very close to. But last November, my son John, my 14-year-old son John, came to me and he said, Dad, I'd like to go to Mozambique. Would you talk to somebody? And I thought, wow, my son John wants to go to Mozambique. Now, in the past, for about three years, different team leaders have been asking me if I'd be willing to go to Mozambique. And every time I had a pretty good excuse for them. No, I'm too busy. No, the time's not right. No, I don't think I can leave my family. I don't think they do too well without me right now. I need to be around. And those excuses, although partly true, were not the real reason that I didn't want to go to Mozambique. The real reason that I didn't want to go to Mozambique the real reason that I didn't want to go to the village of Shinangani was because I was afraid. Now, it might not make much sense to you, but I was afraid. I was afraid to go to Shinangani. It's a different culture. It's across the ocean. It's in Africa. I'd have to teach for hours and hours every day, and I don't really know if I have that much to say. And I'm thinking, this is a scary proposition. And you know what? I don't know that I really want to go to Mozambique. But now my 14-year-old son says, Dad, can we go to Mozambique on this mission trip? Can we help the people of Shinangani? Now, it's fairly easy to say no to a team leader who asks you to go to Mozambique. But it's a lot more difficult to say no to your 14-year-old son. Well, John kept asking me, he kept asking me, hey, have you talked to anybody yet? Have you seen if we can go to Mozambique? And I said, no, no, not yet. But he was persistent. And he kept talking. And in some ways, I just kept ignoring. And then in January, as God often does, he starts to change plans. In January, I received an email from Sharon Van Weeren. Sharon Van Weeren is the team leader for the team from Calvary that was going to be going in April. And Sharon emails me and she says, hey, Tom, would you be interested in going to Mozambique with the team this April? I, wow. And I email her back and I say, Sharon, thank you for asking me. I'll pray about it. 
And that held her off for a little while. But then February came, and if you remember what happened in February, we learned that the village in Shinigami, the river had flooded. And the river had flooded and caused devastation to the crops in Shinigami. And these people were going to be without food. And it was a Sunday morning in February when we showed pictures of the devastation of this flood. And it was that Sunday morning, I'm sitting next to my John, and I got the biggest, sharpest elbow in the side. It was like, see, we got to go to Shinigami. We got to help these people. And I'm sitting there, yeah, I know. But down deep inside, I am deathly afraid of going to Shinigami. But that Monday, I called up Sharon. And I said, hey, Sharon, I said, would you, would you come to my office and share with me? Share your heart with me and Shinigani and what the team's going to be doing and what I would be doing, and can we just talk about it? So Sharon came to my office, and we got together. It was a Wednesday afternoon, and for 40 minutes, Sharon shared her heart on Shinigani and her passion for the people of Shinigani. And as a result, my son John and I, in April, went to Shinigani to minister with the people there. And it was incredible. It was a great experience. And I got to see God work in the lives of the people of Shinigami. I saw people come to Christ. I saw people who are growing in Christ. I saw God working in and through their economy and how he's bettering their lives. God is present in Shinigami. And he was able to use us just a little bit to help these people, to help them see God. It was really cool. But as I sit here this morning, as I stand, as I talk to you, I think to myself, what if my fears would have kept me from going to Shinigami? What if God would not have helped me overcome those fears? I wouldn't have been able to experience the gracious people of Shinigami. I wouldn't have made new relationships. I wouldn't have seen God work in these people's hearts and the minds. I wouldn't have seen the amazing things that God is doing there if my fears would have prevented me from going. Now, I just told you a story in which God helped me overcome my fears. But there are many times in my life where the fears that I've had have paralyzed me and have kept me from doing what God wants me to do. And I know in each one of your lives, there are times when God has helped you overcome your fears. But I also know in each one of your lives, there is time where your fear has paralyzed you, and it has kept you from doing what God wants you to do. Last week, Jim taught us that we are to express an undying love for God. But in order to do that, we have to be obedient. And what happens when you're obedient, that means that God's asked you to do something. So in order to show undying love for God, you actually have to step out and do something for God. You have to listen when he says something. And you have to act when he says act. But any time that God asks me to do something, the first emotion I always experience is fear. And I know that each one of you are no different. You experience fear. I know that this morning, right now, amongst, you're afraid. There is something that you are fearful about. It may be that God is asking you to do something. It may be that God is asking you to go on a mission trip. It may be that God is asking you to sell your house. It may be that God is asking you to take a different job. 
It may be that God is asking you to move someplace. It may be that God is asking you to do something different that's outside of your comfort zone. It may be that God is asking you to talk to your neighbor that you don't really like that person. And all of those things can cause fear, but it may be even more basic than that. You may be afraid just because. You may be afraid just because of the world that we live in. A world that doesn't understand Christianity, a world that thinks we're all crazy for being here on a nice Sunday morning. A world that doesn't get it, that we have to go out and live in. That can be scary. You may be afraid because you woke up this morning and your heart wasn't, wasn't feeling like it usually feels or your back is hurting and you think to yourself, oh my goodness, I'm falling apart. What's happening to me? You may be afraid because you're underemployed or you're not employed and you're wondering where, where's the money going to come from? Or you may be afraid about the relationship that you once had that seems to be gone. And we all have fears. Have you, ever, have you ever been laying in bed at night and you wake up at three in the morning and your biggest fear hits you right in the face? And you, you stare up at the ceiling and you're almost paralyzed and you, you lay, I call it the 3 a.m. sweats. You just lay there and it seems as if the world is coming to an end and you are just so afraid. We all have fear. And the sad thing about fear is that it keeps us from living the life that God wants us to live. The fear keeps us from experiencing God in what he has for us. And God wants you to live. God wants you to experience life. He wants each one of us to be fearless. So this morning, let's look at the book of Joshua. It's found on page 151 in the Bible that the church provides. And I want to look at the book of Joshua, and I hope that this text gives you encouragement as it has given me in facing our fears. Page 151 in the church Bible. Chapter 1 of Joshua. I'm going to read the first few verses of Joshua 1. Listen as I read. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the first two verses of the book of Joshua, we learn that Moses is dead. God's great servant Moses is dead. And if you'll recall, Moses, with God's help, was the great deliverer. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt, Moses led the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob out of bondage. He leads them out of slavery. And he is moving towards the land to which God promised. 
And after about three weeks of exiting slavery, the people of Israel are on the boundary of the promised land. They are about to enter the land that God promised to Abraham. But because of the Israelites' disobedience and because of Moses' disobedience, God does not allow them to enter the promised land and he turns them back into the wilderness for 40 years of wandering. And for 40 years, the people of Israel wandered the desert in the wilderness. And now we are here at the stage at Joshua 1. And God is turning over the reins of the people of Israel to Joshua. And look what he says to Joshua in verse 5. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Now stop and think about this a minute. Joshua was the servant, was the aide to Moses. Moses was always the number one guy. Joshua was always his helper. Moses was always in charge. Joshua was always his aide. Moses was always the number one. Joshua was the number two. But now Moses is dead. And Joshua has been given the responsibility to lead the people of Israel into this promised land. And God says to Joshua, no one will be able to stand up against you for all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you wonder what Joshua was thinking at this point? Have you ever wondered what Joshua had to be thinking down deep inside? You know what I think? I think down deep in his gut, I think Joshua was scared. I think Joshua was afraid. Moses had always been the leader, not Joshua. Moses had always been the one in charge, not Joshua. Joshua could always look to Moses, but now Moses is gone. And now it's Joshua who has to lead the people into the promised land. And this is not an easy assignment. Joshua has to take approximately two million people and help them cross a river. And not only do they have to cross the river, once they enter the land, they have to take the land from people who do not want to give up the land. And God says, no, Joshua, you're the man. You are going to be the person who leads my people into this promised land. And I am going to be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. What did Joshua need to know more than anything else? What do you and I need to know more than anything else when we face life's obstacles? What do you and I need to know more than anything else when God asks us to do something? What do you and I need to know more than anything else when the giants in the land seem too big? What do we need to know? We need to know that God is with us. And God says to Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And what was true for Joshua is true for us as well. Look at these verses from Hebrews 13. Now when we read these verses, keep in mind that at the time, these verses are written to a people who are being oppressed. These verses are written to a people who are being persecuted. These verses are being written to a people whose material possessions are being taken from them. These verses are written to a people who are being put in prison, who are incarcerated for nothing else other than living and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what is written to them. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, and it's quoting Joshua, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 
So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What is true for Joshua is true for you and me. I am with you, God says. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But look back at verse 5, because I want to show you exactly what is specifically saying. And this is important. It says, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Other translations say, I will not fail you or forsake you. The Hebrew word that's translated leave or fail here means to slacken. Now hang with me. This is a little confusing. What God is saying here is he's saying, I will never leave you. I will never fail you. I am not going to slacken. And what he's saying is, is I'm not going to slacken my grip on you. I have a hold of you. I have you in my hands. You are in my grip, and my grip will not slacken. I have you. I will not let you go. No matter what you face, no matter what he's asked you to do, it may be as big as Joshua's task, but he says, no, I will not slacken my grip on you. I have you in my hands. I will never fail you. I am with you. That's what he says to Joshua. And if that weren't enough, he reinforces the idea and he says, I will never forsake you. He strengthens his statement. He says, I will not relinquish you. I will not depart from you. I will not abandon you. Because he promises us that he'll keep us in his grip. His grip will never slacken. He says to Joshua, he says to us, I will never leave you. I will never fail you. I will not forsake you. But not only does he give us a promise, he gives Joshua an instruction. He gives Joshua his responsibilities. Look at verses six through nine. Look what he says to Joshua. God says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Three times in these verses, God gives Joshua specific instruction. He says to Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. And it's very interesting what the word strong means here. What it is saying, strong is defined as to fasten onto, to seize. So what God is saying is he says, I'm promising you, I'm promising you that I will not slacken my grip on you, that I am holding on to you. But while you are holding on, while I am holding on to you, you need to seize me. You need to grab onto me. I will not leave you or forsake you. But you, you be strong 
and you be courageous and you seize onto me. You fasten onto me. And he also says, be courageous. And this means to be brave or mentally and physically alert. You see, God knows the fear is coming. God knows that Joshua was afraid. God knows that you and I are afraid. So he says, be strong, seize on to me, be courageous. Know that it's coming. Have you ever thought you can't be courageous unless there's fear? God knows the fear is coming. And he says, be strong and be courageous. Do you ever feel like you're all alone? Like you're the only person out there? Nobody understands what you're going through. Nobody knows what it is to do whatever God wants you to do. Nobody really knows the fears that you're experiencing. There could be nothing that's more false. God knows because he has grabbed onto you and his grip will not slacken. And he wants you to seize onto him, to fasten yourself to him. I want to show you what this looks like. I need a volunteer and I already asked somebody to be my volunteer so she knows. Lexi, come on up here. So let's give Lexi a hand because she's going to help us out. Come on, honey. So Lexi is going to help us understand this concept. So we have a picture in our minds of what this looks like. You ready to go? You excited? Good. So what's going to happen here is Lexi, I'm going to grab onto Lexi's arm. I'm holding on to Lexi. And my grip is not going to slacken. And then Lexi is going to seize on to me. She's going to grab my arm. Grab my hands, honey. Hold on tight. Seize them, baby, right? Okay. She's holding on tight. Because life gets difficult, right? And we think we're alone. But we're never alone. God's always right here. And his grip isn't going to slacken. And no matter what comes, he's holding on. And he's holding on tight. But life gets difficult, doesn't it? And we start walking through life. And life gets scarier and scarier the closer to the edge we come. But God's holding on. His grip is not going to slacken. And then it gets really hard. You should feel how tight her grip is. <laughs> God's will not slacken his grip. And we're to seize on to him. No matter what we go through, no matter how scary it gets, we are not alone. He is holding on to us. That's what it looks like. Great job, honey. His grip will not slacken. No matter what you are going through, no matter what he asks you to do, he is holding on to you. And all he asks is he says, grab, seize on to me, fasten yourself to me. And you will know that you're not alone. You will know that I'm with you. But there's a problem. Because when the fear comes, we often forget the promise and we forget the instruction. And you know why we do it? Because we often, too often, immerse ourselves in that culture. And when we immerse ourselves in that culture, we by default think that that culture has the answers. And it doesn't have the answers. That culture does not know the future. 
Only God knows the future. But we too often immerse ourselves in that culture and we forget the promise and we forget the instruction. Because everything there doesn't align with the promise and with the instruction. We watch things we shouldn't watch. We read things we shouldn't read. We do things we shouldn't do. And it little by little becomes more and more and more a part of who we are. And although we say we don't want it, we can't help it because we keep going back to it. And God says, no, I have given you a promise and I have given you instruction but I know what the temptation is. So now I want to give you a strategy. And look what he says. Look at his strategy, verse seven and eight. Look what it says. It says, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Think about these words for a minute. Moses has died. God has made Joshua the leader of the people of Israel. He's told Joshua to take the land. He's told Joshua to take the land from a people that don't want to give up the land. He's told him that he's going to face many tremendous military battles to take this land. But God doesn't talk to him a bit about strategy or a bit about tactics. He doesn't give him a plan of attack. Instead, God talks to him about his heart. God wanted Joshua and he wants us to know that to overcome our fear, it's a matter of spirituality. It's not a matter of how we manage things. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is an issue when, God, when we are faced with a task, when we are faced with an obstacle, when we are faced with a fear in our lives, it's not how we manage ourselves around it. It's how we turn to God with our hearts, with the spirit in mind. We so often try to implement systems. We try to rely upon traditions. We think that there's something we can do to plan ourselves out of the problem or to overcome the fear. And God says, no, that's not the case. If you want to overcome the fear, this is what you do. You obey my word and you immerse yourself in it. Obey my law and immerse yourself in my word and you will overcome your fear. Whatever fear you face, whatever challenge you come across, your strength for overcoming the fear is the word of God and immersing yourself in it. Look at what Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Blessed is the man who does not immerse himself in that culture. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Blessed is the man who obeys my law. Blessed is the man who immerses himself in the word of God. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in seasons, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. God says, if you want to overcome your fear, Recognize that I've given you a promise. Recognize that you have something, you have a responsibility to do, but the way that you get there is you obey my law and you immerse yourself in my word and then the fear will be overcome. You see, the key is truth cancels fear. Truth cancels fear. Have you ever, listen to this, little, have you, remember when you were little 
or maybe you had a child, and a little boy goes to bed at night, he lays down in his bed, and it's dark in his room, and he's laying there, and all of a sudden he begins to think to himself, oh my goodness, there's a monster under my bed. Okay, you know, right? You been there? I always have monsters under my bed. I'm laying there, and there's a monster under my bed, and I know it's down there, and I know that monster is going to come out to get me, and I'm paralyzed. I can't move. I won't move a muscle because if I move, that monster is going to come out from that bed, and it is going to get me. And I'm there, and the fear grows, and it builds, and it becomes greater, and I get tighter and tighter and more and more paralyzed till finally I cry, Mom! 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 And then what happens? Mom comes in the room. She turns on the light. She comes over to the boy and she says, Honey, what's wrong? Mom, there's a monster under my bed. Oh, really, honey? Here, take my hand and let's look under the bed together. And the mom takes the boy and looks under the bed. And guess what's there? Nothing. There's no monster. Truth overcomes fear. And what God's saying is, is if you obey my law, you live in the truth and you immerse yourself in the word of God, you immerse yourself in the truth, you will overcome your fear. You will know the promise that I, my grip will not slacken. And you will know the instruction that you are to seize on to me. But you're only going to know that deep down in your heart if you obey the word of God and immerse yourself in it. It all sounds so easy, doesn't it? But why is it? Why is it that we do so much to avoid it? We go to seminars, we read books, we read self-help books, or even Christian self-help books. We do all these things instead of immersing ourselves in the word of God. And God says, if you want to overcome that fear, obey my law and immerse yourself in my word and the fear will be gone. Don't avoid it. Immerse yourself in it. As I've thought this past week about these three ideas, the promise that God gives us that he'll never slacken his grip, the instruction that he gives us to seize on, to be strong and to seize on to him, and the strategy of obeying his word and immersing ourselves in it. It's all come back to one concept for me. And it's the first real phrase in verse five. It's when God says, I will be with you. You see, all of this is about God's presence. And when you face fears, when the fears seem overwhelming, what God wants us to know is that he is with us. He is present with us. Earlier I told you the story of my son and me going to Mozambique I left out the most important part of the story. It's the reason I really went. I shared with you that it was my son's idea to go to Mozambique, and it was. I shared with you that we saw the pictures of the flood's devastation, and they were moving. I told you that Sharon did a great job sharing her heart with me about the purpose and mission of the trip, and she did. But above all those factors... 
I think I still would have been afraid to go. But something else happened. After I spoke with Sharon, we spoke for about 40 minutes. She spoke, actually. I listened. She was very passionate. After about 40 minutes of sharing her heart, she left. And I was sitting there at my seat thinking, okay, God, now I know you want me to go. Now listen to what I said. God, I know you want me to go. But in my heart, I wasn't convinced that I was going because I was afraid. And so what happens when I get afraid is I pace. So I left my office downstairs and I started doing laps around the bottom of the church, just kind of thinking and praying, kind of realizing that God wanted me to go, but not sure that I was going to be able to overcome the fear. And I got back to my office and I clicked on to my personal Yahoo email account and it pops up. And the first email in the queue, the first email in the line, the subject line reads, do not be afraid. <laughs> now this stuff may happen to you a lot, but this stuff doesn't happen to me a lot. So it says, do not be afraid. And I, I couldn't believe it. So I quickly click on the email and I open it up. And this is what it said. It said, dear Tom and Jen, I had a bit of trouble with my email. I thought this was sent on Sunday afternoon, but perhaps better late than never. I, told, I received the email on Wednesday. Isaiah 41, 13. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Blessings, Jack H., I meet with Sharon. She shares her heart for 40 minutes. I go for a walk. I come back, and the first email on my list is, do not be afraid, and it has this verse. But as I'm looking at this email, I'm thinking to myself, this email is familiar to me. I think I've read it before. So I look at the date that the email was sent, and it was sent on Monday, July 24, 2006, the summer I started working at Calvary. But when I came back from my walk, this email was at the top of the list of emails. Every other email after that was in chronological order back from 2012. But God had positioned this one at the top. Do not be afraid. I will uphold you. I have you in my hand. Now, I looked at this as an affirmation that I was supposed to go to Mozambique. I'm slow, but I'm not that slow. <laughs> but you know what this really screamed to me? This screamed to me that God is present. God is with me. And God's not only with me, if you believe in Jesus, God is with you. I don't know what you are going through right now. I don't know what you are afraid of. The one thing I do know, and we don't like to admit it, but the one thing I do know is I know you're afraid. I know there is something in your life that you are afraid about. It may be something that God is asking you to do. It may be a circumstance that you're in. It may be a trial that you are facing. And I know you are afraid. But no matter how dark it gets, 
no matter how tough the obstacle, no matter how high the fence that you have to jump over, no matter what your mood seems to be, no matter what you are experiencing, God wants you to know that he has a hold of you. He has you in his grip, and that grip will not slacken. And all he's saying is, seize me. Grab on to me. I'm not going to leave you. Obey my word. Don't live out there. Live in my word and know that I am with you. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that you have given us. And Lord, I don't know what my brothers and sisters are facing. I don't know the obstacle. I do not know the trial. But Lord, what I do know is that you are with them. And Lord, I pray that with all of their being, they will know that you have a hold of them, that you have them in your grip, and that you will not leave them. Lord, help us to leave this morning with that truth that you are always with us and that you love us with an undying love. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.